Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Deductionist Podcast. As you may have already noticed by those that are watching the video, I'm flying solo today. He's he's pulled a sickie on me, <laughs> virtually. Now, the, um, the modern restrictions of a conventional day job half got the best the best of him at this moment so uh well we we shall miss you mate for this one but um we shall be back fully stocked in terms of our stable of weirdness and uh we'll be continuing on down this duplicate rabbit hole that we call the uh, the podcast so today i thought i would talk to you about a gentleman who I find to be very important. <laughs> Some of you will have already noticed um, what I'm wearing. Uh, it's it's my house MD jacket, and I've got my uh, I've got my cane with me for mostly swatting away ruffians. But uh, <laughs> um, no, I I thought if we were going to do the episode, I would dress the part, considering that. The, um, the episodes regarding the importance of Henry Spencer to people's work in the field of um, deduction, people reading, whatever you would like to call it, um, seem to resonate with a lot of people. So I, I thought I would bring this one back, uh, but specifically talk about House MD. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, you'll have clearly been living under some kind of boulder for a number of years but if you don't the show stars the inimitable Hugh Laurie of British dry satire roots with the awesome Fry and Laurie what an incredible show that was and he had a series of returning characters on uh, Blackadder um those of you might know him from the guy on the plane in uh, in Friends when uh, Rachel was traveling over to tell Ross that she loved him. Um, to me, he he just looked like a house, but with an English accent um, on that particular episode. <laughs> the 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 hatred of, of humans was was largely uh, set into that character he was playing at that stage. But the the show itself is is a is a twist is a retelling is a is a pastiche uh an homage uh to uh, to sherlock holmes uh, in the like in that gregory house sherlock holmes uh gregory house's uh best mate was james wilson john watson was obviously the other side the doctor thing should go without saying um the limp has sort of been uh, amalgamated into the lead character rather than within Watson, um, given a, a, a more medical origin than anything else. House lives at 221B. Uh, there, is, uh, <laughs> there is a number of quotes and little cutaways peppered throughout the entire series, like shots of uh, books on House's shelf that are the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, uh, lots of nods to Dr. Joseph Bell books um, and the like throughout. Um, even in one of the episodes, uh, I, 
I don't recall whether it was the first season or the second, um, but it was with the the the, the trio of uh, of of Chase. Uh, uh, oh God, I've, I've, Chase, Omar Epps, and um, Cameron Foreman. Chase, Cameron, and Foreman. There we go. It's been a while since I've done my re my rewatching of it. So there we go. Uh, where they had their case brought in, and uh, House wrote something down, put it in an envelope, and stuck it to a board. And the main um, the main um, affliction that they were looking at was was an itchy foot. Uh, so on the envelope was written, "The game is a itchy foot." So technically speaking, in English terms, it should be an itchy foot, but they kept it as a itchy foot because the game is a foot uh, in line with uh, certain Sherlock stuff. So it goes over from there. But in terms, uh, House is, uh, uh, I think, unconventional, would be fair to say, uh, medical genius who's dependent on pain medication due to the infarction that he had in his leg and uh, the onslaught of muscle death and the consistent levels of pain that he feels. Um, but other than, him, other than him being this type of interesting, awkward, seemingly ferocious level arsehole, um, is that his attitude towards... Uh, uh, people and beliefs and um, his approach towards emotional entanglement in terms of solving the cases that he has to, which is um, the most obscure medical cases that you could possibly think of. Like um, one of them, they have to deal with uh, uh, the bubonic plague, uh, a, a resurgence of the bu bubonic plague, um, there's a buried case of hermaphroditism in a, in a beauty pageant model. Um, what else is there? Uh, various kinds of tularemia. It's not lupus, though. It's, it's never lupus um, and the like. But he's seen as this kind of uh, uncaring, unfeeling uh, human that wants no connection to the mundane problems that everybody else seems to face on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and yet there are many times he shows his compassion for others in that equally unconventional way when he helps a guy to kill himself to save his son um, and the like. You know, he... He goes to uh, uh, a, a, a bacterial-ridden house when Foreman is infected and uh, Cameron's at risk, and he goes there without protection, uh, no hazmat suits. Uh, now, there are those that would argue it would just be for the sake of the, uh, the diagnosis and the like. But this kind of represents... The, the kind of trade-off that you get in in this kind of field when you're dealing with um, when you're dealing with uh, fascinations, things that intrigue you, 
and I can only speak from personal experience that whenever there is a, uh, a problem or a puzzle or something along that nature, that it's like somebody, I always reference, it's like somebody flicking inside of my head and it just doesn't go away uh, on, until I've figured it out. And that's, that's the kind of trade-off that he has in, in this kind of scenario. It's obviously seen in, uh, in the Sherlock Holmes stuff as well, when he takes his 7% solution of cocaine. Um, the, the escapist nature, uh, I abhor the dull mundanity of existence, uh, Holmes was quoted as saying many times. And now one of the things that, uh, that comes out of the show is, is his way with words in, in terms of um, cutting through the, the, the chaff of any given situation, cutting out all of the emotion, all of the uh, intonation to get completely at the, at the specifics of the details, right? You know, with things like... Uh, uh, I don't ask why patients lie. I just assume they all do, which, <laughs> which is uh, and just to just to qualify this as well. This is never going to be a, a remark on his on his medical practice as well, uh, because after the work experience so far, that shit does not fly. <laughs> that shit does not fly at all anywhere. But so what we're looking at here is in terms of what he's saying and what he does uh, and the like in terms of the attitude towards problem solving uh, in relation to uh, people and how they discuss uh, their, their attitudes, their, their feelings, their beliefs um, and the like. Um, if you take, for example... Um, Everybody does stupid things. It shouldn't cost them everything they want in life. Right? So you think about that within terms of the relevance to cancel culture, for example. This man was there. And obviously, there'd be de there'd be degrees to it when you're looking at its application towards real life. Stupidity is a is a is a, is a relative term. You can't just claim genocide uh, as as an act of stupidity because that doesn't wash. But when it comes to um, being drunk at a party, for example, <laughs> everyone's done that uh, at, at certain stages. Uh, me, maybe more than uh, the, the, the average person. Um, but when you look at the nature of um, uh, celebrities and politicians and royals, Harry himself was, was dragged through more than enough hot coals as a result of simply being a human being. Simply being a human being. There is... Uh, the illustrative way that house looks at problems differently to others um, and the like. There's no I in team. There is a me though, if you jumble it up, right? <laughs> it's the whole, it's the whole nature of um, the way I like to refer to it as everything being relevant until it's not right. <laughs> 
everything is relevant until it's not because everything can contribute to the, the the solution of a problem in a given situation until you've figured out that that particular observation has no pertinence to the problem at hand you've got to do your due diligence by everything so it is it is in these types of things where just because people say there isn't an i there is a me i and me both reference the same thing right it's it's this continual uh, uh, uh attitude that he has to chasing down every detail th throwing into every exploration and the like never washing away anything until it has been completely completely disproven like beyond all kinds of irrevocable doubt uh, and the like within that area and that is so pertinent to what it is that goes on with with people reading uh, and the like when it comes to your emotional engagement with other people and other things and other aspects that are going on in that particular room or situation or whatever it is that when you start to uh, engage with it in an emotionally significant way you lose a little of what the details are actually telling you right And I'm just going through some of these other ones here. Um, I choose to believe that the white light people sometimes see, they're all just chemical reactions that take place when the brain shuts down. There's no conclusive science. My choice has no practical relevance to my life. I choose the outcome I find more comforting. I find it more comforting to believe that this isn't simply a test in reference to uh, religion and death, which is a much more, you know, a grandiose sentiment. But if you put it down semantically, his belief there is no more right or wrong than someone's belief in God or the afterlife, right? As he stated, there's no conclusive science. So he's choosing to believe this based on available data, whereas some people choose to believe, uh, you know, in acts of God or uh the the, the I, I don't know what the words are but they have faith in this entity that's that's protecting them and the like and that's more comforting to them to believe so because we have this man that's flying in the face of other people's kinds of conventional acceptance he's seen as quirky and irreverent when in actual fact he's just saying the things that you're saying just in a different way in often in a more direct way uh and uh, in a less polite way but no less relevant than than everything else that's going on uh at that particular time when you're looking at some of his things in the uh, in the medical field uh, uh occam's razor uh, uh, was was the episode the simplest explanation is always the uh is always the most relevant or, or is usually always correct so that's the nature of occam's razor the philosophy but house puts this twist on it as the simplest explanation is that somebody always screws up always <laughs> um so when you're dealing with problems in that kind of scenario particularly within the, the, the medical practices they're only there if someone has screwed up right uh something as 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 workaday as a broken bone you're only there because you screwed up whether that be 
falling and you breaking it or you had it broken as a result of somebody else that's a screw up right this is this is uh the man should be a philosopher in those particular in those particular areas to simply if you look at the way that he deals with his cases and again that shit would not fly in a hospital the um the reality of of talking to patients and having a diagnostic team uh, uh and the like granted the teams do uh, the teams do exist within within certain areas of medicine but in that in that particular one uh allowing a doctor to make um uh, a diagnosis without uh interactions that that would not fly so that's that's job one to say but if you look at the reason why he does that, going back to that first, uh, that first initial thing uh, that I mentioned um, with the, uh, it's, uh, where are we? I, I don't ask why patients lie, I just assume they all do. Right? Um, if you've ever been into a, a, a hospital for uh, an, any kind of embarrassing scenario, like uh you know a, a sexually transmitted disease or you've drank too much and you need to get your stomach pumped or you've done drugs and you're freaking out and the like your your compunction to manage the exact details is very high uh dependent upon your your comfort within that particular area so for house to just simply have the data brought to him means that he can deal with it in the most direct way possible the most direct way possible and as a result he gets to solutions that nobody else can granted he's got this genius level background uh, in, in terms of his knack for reading people in situations but specifically when it comes to these kinds of problems he just removes the uh, the human element out of it because the human element brings with it uh, a, a clouding of reasoning a, 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 a you can't say this because it'll, it'll offend me you can't do this because it's not nice and, and the like there's been many times that i've had a a, a similar argument with people uh and it's been around many many different many different aspects um you take for for example uh, a, a a conventional one that i've had with my mum before uh, she says, uh, you never wear matching socks. Never. Well, I wear a pair of socks. The nature of matching doesn't matter. <laughs> right? What, what difference does it make? Uh, and when I ask these kinds of points, uh, I usually follow it up with, what difference does it make? And you can't say or paraphrase the wording of, because that's what you just do. Provide me a reason. That's a legitimate argument. When you, when you say things like um, uh, this, oh, this, oh, this too many to uh, to enumerate uh, in this particular kind of scenario. Uh, if you've ever worked with a colleague, oh, you can't say that to him. Why? Why? And your answer can't be because you just don't. Give me a reason. 
that ultimately helps understanding that helps growth that helps the the chance for the problem never to come back again if it is a problem in that particular scenario because there is reason behind it rather than just these behavioral thoughts uh, that go out into the scenario you can't do that because you just don't it's not the done thing <laughs> what kind of an argument is that I, I, against anything um uh, <laughs> in this particular scenario like i've i've often been um accused of 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 dressing quite unconventionally over the years of being alive uh and my question has always been why I'm wearing trousers, I'm wearing underwear, I'm wearing socks, shoes, a coat, a t-shirt <laughs> at times. What's unconventional about that? Uh, very often times it's because like I've got tracksuit bottoms on and a, and a button-up shirt or or I've got I've got a, a, a t-shirt on with some uh, vaguely niche reference to an 80s cartoon or movie uh, and the like. <laughs> or there's been a couple of times that I've gone out walking the dogs with with this. Uh, and I, I don't limp, I don't have any walking problems. Uh, I used this after I came out of the hospital, after my kidney stones, but that was just to get around the house. Um, why? Uh, like people have rambling canes to, to assist their mobility uh, over, over mountainside and countryside and the like. Uh, I'm wearing tracksuit bottoms and a shirt. My upper and lower half is covered. What difference does it make? In, in reality, when you're dealing without this kind of uh, entanglement in your everyday life, your attitude towards these kinds of problems become much clearer and your capability to solve them becomes much more direct because you're immediately seeing everything that's presented to you in, 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 the, in the most clear way. It's being presented for exactly what the information is rather than what intonation people's standpoints have on it. Does people's intonation become any less relevant as a result? No, this can still be acknowledged from your position, but it doesn't have to hold, uh, have to hold court in terms of significance as to how you process this problem moving forwards, right? I, um, I, uh, I, I shared a video with a number of my students uh, in terms of the attitude towards mindset development and how we uh, and how we maintain uh, uh, accurate rational thinking, and it was a video of the comedian Trevor Noah and this just awful, awful BBC interviewer. I mean, she was absolutely terrible uh, in terms of the questions she was asking, uh, the way she spoke to him to have a. Uh, let me let me uh let me preface this the um the the, na the nature of the video was a, a debate around um uh, comedians jokes influencing opinions on 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 race and uh, racism uh, and the like and apartheid and this kind of things and if you don't know of trevor noah he comes from uh south africa pretty much where you know the uh, the atrocities of apartheid was was created and this journalist was asking him um uh, about his jokes and the like and are they considered funny uh because they might upset this person or enforce disbelief uh, and the like and trevor to his credit very calmly 
just dismantles um, every one of her standpoints so that she gets more irate and the like and more emotionally involved uh, into watch you see the way that somebody who exists without the nature of this kind of emotional entanglement within a problem can see the nuts and bolts of a situation and somebody who can't because they are so charged but what uh, I was I was stating uh, after the fact is we can still see some of the nonverbal communication within the particular scenario that allowed him to maintain that kind of clear cut, uh, rational, uh, accurate thinking and and presentation and discussion that he was going through, and um, uh, one of the uh, one of the people uh, uh, in in the in the group that I posted it towards sent me a message afterwards. Uh, uh, I'm curious as to whether or not I have had any, uh, I have had any, any kickback over the scenario. And I was like, well, I, I, that didn't even occur to me just because I've, I've posted, uh, posted a video from a, from a, like a nonverbal communication, reading people tactics uh, area that it was, that it was discussing around the, um, the, uh, the, the, the nature of the race debate. Uh, 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 in, in this area, that there would be the potential for, for, for kickback. Uh, and to the group's credit, there was none. Absolutely none. And yet, when I've seen this, uh, this similar post do the rounds, it's, it's absolutely incendiary uh, in terms of people on, on both sides of the debate uh, and the like. And that was, that was a real... Um, stand back moment for me uh, to illustrate on mass when you're dealing with numbers the people that can see um, problems cases medical diagnoses cases of crime uh, and the like as opposed to cases of medicine um, for exactly what they are with the complete understanding of, of emotional motivation to do certain things, but without becoming too far uh, involved to see it as clearly as you would need to from being on the outskirts. And that's, that's a very kind of overly descript point of how House chooses to deal with this kinds of thing, right? Why would you not? It's often accosted throughout the entire season. Uh, you know, there's apologies made for him. I'm sorry, but our, our doctor doesn't talk to uh, you guys. Can I see my uh, uh, attending physician or the, the the person in charge of my case or whatever it is? The words that they use, uh, and they're like, no, he, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Uh, and it's seen as this big weird thing. Whereas if you think about it uh, realistically, if you're in a hospital, would you be more concerned? with getting better or more concerned with uh, hand-holding uh, and the like. I realize that's been very semantic and very kind of uh, in a nutshell about the whole experience of what this uh, 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 human connection element can do, but I'm just painting it in terms of black and white for the nature of understanding. I would want, and I can only speak from a subjective opinion, I'd be very curious to hear your guys' opinions on this as well, uh, I would want somebody who's more focused on what's wrong with me <laughs> uh, and the like. Like um, when, uh, when I was having my, having my stent removed, 
And this might be a bit too much information for some people, but I'm going to tell you all the same to paint the picture. So for those of you that don't know what a stent is, basically it's gone right the way down my urethra and it's this little tube that sits keeping my pipes open so that everything that's built in is part of my renal system can process all of my juices and I can pee freely as, as kidney stones would normally prevent me from doing. And this stent was in there for, for around a week or two uh, afterwards this, and then it had to be removed. Now, as I found out after the fact from uh, different uh, medical professionals that I met along the way that this should have done, should have been done um, under some form of pain relief or, or, or some kind uh, of, a, of additional help. I didn't get any. Uh, what I got was some lubricant uh, and essentially they had to grab my, my junk uh, and shove this thing down it that is too big to fit down there, first of all. So that's pain principle number one. It was in an awkward position, so they had to then crowbar something else down there in order to pinch this stent out and pull it out in, in for a procedure that I'm told takes normally around three, four minutes. It took closer to 10 or 12 of people jamming around in there. So I was in agony, screaming the place down. And after the fact, I could have been uh, very kind of angry, enraged, uh, thrown all kinds of accusations um, uh, and, and the like out. But the salient point was this thing was out of me uh, because it was a foreign body inside it. If it had been left there for too long, it had caused, uh, it had caused some permanent damage uh, somewhere else. I still... Um, uh, have a lot of the, uh, the 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 scratch marks inside my tubes uh, from where it was pulled out with such force, but I'm okay now. I can pee freely uh, and without the uh, without the hindrance of stones. That's the kind of point that I'm making. What would my anger have really gotten in that in that particular scenario? Nothing in the long run. And if you look at the uh, the, the kind of exacerbated nature of what that problem could be. If I'd have, if I'd have sued, uh, you know, for some kind of uh, malpractice and been awarded thousands and thousands of pounds, what do I really get out of that? Other than, you know, I've got a few grand in the bank, but someone's lost their job. Is that really significant from all of the other help that they could have given other people? No. No. Um, this is what I mean in terms of his attitude towards humanity. He is saying the significant things that other people are often too afraid to say uh, or often only say when they're amongst family and friends, people that they know understand them. House puts this out there because it is the unspoken nature of things that helps him seem to be so clever and so far ahead of other people. Like if you look at his attitude towards uh, mental health uh, and the like. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm painting mental health very red because I'm, I'm very aware that there, there, are, there are huge degrees um, to it. But within the context of this particular um, within the context of this particular quote, it's very significant. It's normal to be screwed up, but it's really screwed up to romanticize it. And you think about the way that uh, 
uh, anxiety and depression has become somewhat of a fashion statement for uh, a number of a number of people nowadays watering down the the significant experiences that these people who go through all manner of awfulness um, ha have experienced and therefore making people who uh, uh, genuinely have these these kinds of issues much more challenging to diagnose because medical professionals now have to wade through all of this this uh, this accessory level nature towards romanticizing mental health concerns. Um, there's there's loads um, uh, <laughs> about this. If you look at um, if you look at uh, House's attitude towards uh, uh, anti-vaxxing uh, and the like, anti-vaxxing, not just not just COVID anti-vaxxing. This was before COVID ever came out, so this is this is years ago um, and the like. So it's dealing with vaccinations in general for uh, for babies, for toddlers, for children, uh, and the like. And this is one particular scene uh, in the <laughs> in the clinic where this uh, where this woman has brought a child in. The child is not very well, uh, and he's doing the you know the taking of the temperature, the back of the hand on the head kind of thing, having the conversation about uh, uh, the the daily uh, events of baby care, uh, and he asks uh, when her vaccinations were. And the mum says words to the effect of, uh, oh, no, she, she's not been vaccinated. Uh, and House says, uh, oh, you, you, you don't believe um, that they're of, they're of benefit uh, to, to the baby. Uh, and the mum says, well, I believe some big pharmaceutical company wants me to think that they're of benefit and, you know, all the usual spiel in that nature. Um, and then he goes for the child's uh, stuffed frog animal, may I? And he's playing with the kid going, grib it ribbit uh you know he starts talking about the toy uh, the, the modern nature of business uh and the like uh, you know it's it's great that we buy these toys for our children ultimately it's just material we're stuffing inside and these corporations tell us how to play with them to uh provide the best source of growth and uh, neurological development for our children and the like within this area uh, you know, they've got all manner of these different ones that do different things for different people for different ages and the like. You know what else is a really good, uh, um, a really good big business thing? Teeny tiny baby coffins. Yeah, they come in all shapes and sizes um, and the like. And it goes on around that, uh, around that thing just to educate this person that you are playing with your baby's life. You're playing with your baby's life. That's that's indisputable truth uh, when it comes to the relevance of scientific fact. Uh, and the mother immediately breaks down, asks him what what she's got, and <laughs> he says quite succinctly, "A cold." She has a cold. <laughs> um, and that that's. Again, looking at uh, that on the surface, there would be a number of people that would say, you can't say that. You can't say that. Uh, and, and granted, when you're dealing with med medical professionals, you can't say that. You know, you'll be, you'll be sued so fast and so hard, uh, even in the UK, where uh, I'll sue you doesn't really, doesn't really happen that often uh, as much as it does uh, in America. Um, 
but if you look at what it does for the nature of the problem uh, at, at hand, instant education, instant understanding uh, of exactly what's gone on. Now, you could argue that he has um, played devil's advocate in uh, making her emotional qualities too high so she can't understand the nature of the problem. You could argue that. But because he's coming from a place of scientific fact, of scientific truth, um, the, the education he's provided to this woman in this particular scenario is, 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 is huge. It's huge. You know, um, there, was, there was another one that I liked, which was um, particularly because my own personal beliefs, I, I'm not religious at all. Um, I, I barely have faith in people. Uh, let alone anything else um, but he he said um, uh, what was it you talk to God you're religious God talks to you you're psychotic and I and I, I thought that was interesting I thought that was interesting um, in the, the the perception of uh, of of religion and faith in this communication that people have with whatever path it is that they follow. Now, just because I have this belief in this area, does it take from anybody else's belief if they believe in a, 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 a God or Buddha or, or the Prophet Mohammed or whoever the guy is that runs Mormonism, whoever the alien is that runs Scientology? No, right? If, <laughs> if you believe in that, more power to you. If that's if that what provides you that, that level of comfort, Happy days, great. Um, but the, the the reference is in terms of the the human condition. In that, if you talk to God, that's fine. You're airing out your problems. You're getting things off your chest. You're stopping things eating away at you in your head by by announcing it up to whatever it is that you choose to believe in. Brilliant. He talks back. Yeah. Then you've then you've got kind of a a, a, a two way problem thing going on because that starts to then step into the realms of some kind of uh, episode, some kind of psychosis or schizophrenia when you hear these voices out of your uh, conscious control. Because let's face it, we all hear a voice. Uh, it's our own normally. Uh, or if you're Norman Bates, it's your mother. But we all hear one. Uh, and the, the difference in communicative channels uh, in terms of the, the, the appearance uh, en masse is, is quite funny because... If you look at what talking to your God could be perceived as, as you talking to yourself, uh, which, you know, the, the kind of colloquial term was that it was the, uh, the first sign of madness that you're talking to yourself um, and the like within this particular area. But all you're really doing is you're airing out what's, what's in here, what's eating you up or, or, or giving thanks, um, uh, you know, or, or, or talking about what happened during your day so it doesn't cause you any kind of uh, uh bottled up long-term damage in that area which is 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 like a, a, one of the first therapeutic techniques that you learn at school to help people talk about their problems to get them off their chest um uh, kind of thing and there's no real difference in people talking to their god uh, about this kind of thing then there is people actually believing that they have a, a, an open telephone line to the man upstairs whoever it is 
the point that I'm making is that when people view these kinds of experiences, you can view it through uh, 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 emotional clouding of you're talking to something that's not there, you've got faith, there's no proof, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at it for exactly what it is, for exactly what it is, if, if you're able to hear some of the content that they're talking about or observe them doing it and look at their nonverbal communication, this is a very silent and private matter, a very silent and private affair. Um, and the details that they're talking about are very personally significant to them. It's not like they've just gone, all right, God, listen, so uh, I, was, I had this coffee at Starbucks the other day and they put me sugar in. I didn't ask for sugar. I was dead upset. It's not those kinds of mundanities. It's these things that are starting to eat away at people. That's when they start to communicate with, uh, with those that they, uh, with those that they choose to believe in. The um, uh, I, I don't know what episode it was, but I think it was in season one um, when he says, "I've got the quote here." It's it's in the nature of medicine that you are going to screw up. You are going to kill someone. If you can't handle that reality, pick another profession or finish medical school and teach. You can't say that. You can't say that. It's an, uh, I, from the people that I've spoken to, it's an unspoken uh, reality. Uh, and from the people that I've, I've worked alongside, it's an unspoken reality that this is going to happen. Perhaps not by di that direct. Um, but for, you know, the operations that go wrong that lead to this kind of thing, it, it, it's not as direct as you killing someone uh, as, as the words suggest, but to have your hands in that affair, sometimes quite literally, can make you feel that way. And that's the point that he's making here. Now, it is an unspoken reality that those people will have to face that. So he's doing his best in his most direct way to scare them straight. And it became a TV show, didn't it? About, about kids who thought they were little criminal gangsters taking them into jail and to scare them straight. Uh, this is exactly what's happening. So the people that stay know that now. They're prepared. Not completely prepared, but they are more prepared than they would be uh, for that eventuality uh, occurring had it not been spoken about at all. And the only argument I've ever heard to... to both on the show and both in real life uh, to that kind of thing being spoken about again, not in the, not in that direct way, but it, just it being spoken about is uh, you can't say that. You can't say that. Why? Why? <laughs> uh, it's like the, the nature of professionalism in, uh, in, in the, in the business world. I want to meet whoever it is that wrote the book on what it means to be professional you can't do that in the office. It's not professional. Who decides that? <laughs> Who decides that? Right? It's, it's happened more often than it has not. And uh, the, the one time that, that I had a conventional job years ago, it was, in, uh, it was in McDonald's of all places before I got the security post. Um, there was a number of times that I used to uh, uh, practice my accents uh, in terms of my understanding of them so I could hear them in other people, but I practice them in communicating with others. And the, and the, uh, the, the managers would come up, you can't do that. That's not very professional. Why? 
They got their food. It was fresh. It was fast. It was what they ordered. I took the right money. I gave them the right change. They smiled. They left. I didn't hold up uh, productivity at all. Why? That's the point that I'm making. This type of uh, entanglement is defamatory towards progress in this kind of scenario. If they came back with legitimate points, then you've got uh, room for a discussion and growth. And for me to go in that kind of, so, okay, I'm, you know, I, I see your point. I won't do it anymore but, because I'm not a dick, <laughs> right? But uh, one of the things that I have to in encourage my students to get comfortable with is you're going to miss things. That's going to happen. Now, there's often this kind of misunderstanding when you look at the, uh, the way that reading people is perceived through the media uh, and the like that one little minute twitch or tell or object on a table can reveal eons worth of data. Invariably, when it comes to reality, that does not happen. Uh, and, and I say invariably just because I'm one human with 7 billion, 8 billion of us on the planet, statistically likely that it might happen somewhere. But the, the, the likelihood is that you're going to see exactly what you're capable of processing as your eyes move about the room and the way that you have trained yourself to, to, to process this uh, as, as quickly and as rationally as you possibly can. So you're not the Terminator, uh, not in terms of being made of metal in your attitude towards killing Sarah Connor uh, and the like, but in the way that he's consistently processing everything, every little detail, because uh, he's a machine. We're not, we're not machines. So when we're dealing with our ability to, to read people, you need to get comfortable with the fact that you're going to miss stuff. You're going to miss stuff. That's going to happen. Which is a fear that you need to get over initially. And I'm only painting that red because this is a podcast, but for some training and I'll show you how to get over it <laughs> and, and the like. But that, that's, that's ultimately what you need to do if you're ever going to see these problems for exactly what they are and the like, and stop the nature of this little voice inside of your head harming the way that you perceive data because it's so worried about missing everything um, uh, that, that, it, that exists uh, in the world. Now, there is, there is one, uh, one of his quotes that uh, is particularly significant to me um, and, and I will tell you why. Most of you will already know anyway. It is the one that I have tattooed on my hand. And it is, everybody lies. Everybody lies. The only real question is about what and when. Everybody lies. And if you think about that on the surface, that could not be any truer. Could not be any truer. Even, even me, who, and, and uh, ask Adam, he'll tell you, I am 99.5% honest to everyone about everything. Uh, for example, when I went to, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you, when I went to this place uh, and I saw one of my old bosses there, uh, and he, he, he came up to me and said, oh, hey, Ben, it's nice to see you. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, but that's mostly because I don't have to talk to you anymore. 
and just let it sit there for a little bit. That's the kind of honesty you're dealing with when, when you when you talk to me. But when it comes to things like um, uh, my children and Santa, when my kids were young, I definitely kept that going because of the joy and this family uh, entity that is developed. Right? It's one of the it's one of the most accepted lies that we have. You know, Easter Bunny uh, and and Tooth Fairy and all of these kinds of things. It's 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 a joyful experience for the kids at this age before the harsh realities of of being an adult set in. Um, everybody lies. Everybody. The only real question is about what. If you're telling the unfiltered truth uh, about everything, then your 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 developmental difficulties have been experienced to a certain degree, and more than likely, you have Asperger's or some kind of derivation uh, of of the particular affliction. Um, so, <laughs> I'll give you a side note as well as a funny story. Uh, th these are my headphones of choice. I, I wear them on the podcast all the, all the time when I'm walking the dogs, when I'm out and about anywhere by myself. These are the ones that I choose. Uh, I don't like the earbuds um, or these particular ones that go into your ear because of my ears themselves. They just fall out. They don't stay in. Uh, and the ones that kind of go around your ear and hook in, they're never really that comfortable for me. So th those are the ones that I choose to wear. And uh, one of my neighbors asked Maddie the other day, if uh, if i was autistic <laughs> and um she was no why because he wears them big headphones <laughs> which i thought was brilliant um uh, in terms of in terms of comedy uh, and the like <laughs> her response was just as funny no he just doesn't like talking to people <laughs> um but yeah that's that's a side note uh, anyway this is what we're dealing with. Everybody lies, uh, and then there was a there was a particular part of the episode where it came uh, where it came back and Foreman was like, "Well, uh, I thought everybody uh, lies uh, or, or something," and House clapped back virtually immediately, not missing a trick. With the truth begins in lies. Think about it, which just might sound like an arsy, smart, nonsensical, philosophical bollocks to say. But when you think about the nature of truth and lies, one can't exist without the other. Because if lies didn't exist, you would just have facts. You would just have things that people talk about. It wouldn't be known as truth. Right? Because the, they implicitly relate to each other. So if, if, you, look about, if you look at uh, when one person lies out of um guilt for example one person lies out of guilt they uh, they assign values to the kind of truth that they're hiding they assign a, a, a significance in that area to the kind of truth that they're hiding uh, the, the the reason that i got it tattooed onto me is because uh, there's been a there's been a the first initial time of my life everyone knows the story i've told it a million times when uh, my my first love in high school was cheating on me for a while and i felt ridiculous started this whole sherlock journey swore nobody was ever going to lie to me again and i've only been caught out three times since that first one where it's been really kind of significant and really hurt me as a result so this was this was tattooed uh tattooed onto me uh as a as a, as a constant reminder 
uh, of those particular those particular occurrences. However, in this particular meaning uh, of of houses houses reference, it's it's towards the human condition uh, and the like, and is is another example of why he doesn't get involved with uh, with people too much because they're going to lie to me about something somewhere and I don't need that just give me give me the facts give me what happens so give me the facts give me the data things that aren't sort of encumbered with truth or lies or uh, everything else so the fact that this sounds kind of uh, arsy uh, in this 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 scenario of the truth begins in lies think about it it does it does it has a relevance there right if you have ever caught somebody out in a lie, your understanding of their motivations towards towards that entity are huge. Uh, whereas if you've just accepted a, a truism or something that you know to be true, you've heard again, there's no kind of additional color towards that. The grander understanding comes from the, this kind of complexity that they are, they are interrelated. Truth can't exist without lies. You can't. And, uh, this is the whole point for this episode, that if you sit back and look at the, the actual philosophical underpinnings of, of what House says throughout the whole eight seasons, uh, you can forget about season seven uh, as well. Season seven was written during the writer's strikes. It wasn't very good uh, when compared to the others. Um, um, but that's, that's just a side personal note. But if you look at the actual content of what House is saying, forgetting about all of the uh, all of the the musical instruments, the drug taking, and all of that kind of area, just look at the content of what he's saying. In in particular reference to solving of problems of a behavioral nature, of a deductive nature, they are absolutely singularly applicable to everything that we do everything that we do. I don't know if you can hear my stomach rumbling. I'm very hungry uh, now at the minute, but just in terms of the, the, the nature of the, uh, the intertwining of lies and truth, if, if anybody has ever seen uh, Labyrinth with the, the, the main three title characters of David Bowie, Jennifer Connolly, and David Bowie's Bulge, because that, that deserves an acting credit all of itself. Uh, when it comes to that part uh, of, of the labyrinth where she has to figure out which door to go through, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the knights always tells the truth, one of the knights always lies. The nature of that problem can't exist uh, if, if, if they aren't in opposition. And it's known as the knights and knaves paradox. Uh, and it's it's a brilliant book. I highly recommend the book for the nature of understanding logic puzzles and the like. It was coined by uh, uh, Raymond Smullyan in 78. The, the book is literally entitled, What is the Name of This Book? That's the name of the book. What is the name of this book? And the, all of these puzzles, they're, they're set on this, this, this island where all the inhabitants are either um, knights who always tell the truth or knaves who always lie and the puzzle in in varying degrees always involves you trying to figure out who is from what group right some of the puzzles ask for other facts to be deduced it, it, it may determine a yes no question uh, it may go on into to some other things as well but they're, they're a really great resource in terms of understanding rational problem solving and the like um, but the, the, the types of puzzles were a major inspiration for what became known as the hardest logic puzzle ever. 
so these types of um, these types of creations, uh, they they are synonymous within the field of uh, lie detection or seeming that you can perform lie detection when uh, when you're looking at the world of mentalism and the like. Um, but when it comes to specifically understanding houses, meaning of the truth begins in lies, following everybody lies, this is it. When you're looking at the, uh, the, the paradox in relevance to the understanding uh, of the problem through labyrinth and the performance there. So you've got scenario one where the God you ask is the one who lies. That's scenario one. So if, if the God you asked is, is that one that lies, then he will lead you astray by telling you falsely that the other God, the truthful one, will point you towards door, door B. This makes door A the safe bet. Right? So think about that through. So let me, let me preface that again. So we'll call, we'll call door A the safe door and door B the other one. <laughs> right? So... Uh, again, scenario one, you, you ask the God and the God's the one who lies. So he will tell you that the other God, the truthful one, because one tells the truth, one lies, he will tell you that the truthful one will point you towards door B. So that makes door A the safe bet. Whereas scenario two is you ask the one that always tells the truth. If the God you ask uh, 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 is, is honest, you know, in, in, this, in this kind of situation, he will tell you that the lying God will point you towards door B, making door A the safe bet. So you can ask them just the one question and you'll know which door to go through as a result. So in both cases, the outcome is the same. To stay alive, all you got to do is just walk through the opposite door you've been told. Done. And that's the nature of lie detector. All you've got to do... To, to continue in truisms is accept a lie. All you've got to do to stay alive is listen to the opposite. So for particular relevance towards this, I would actively encourage you all, if you haven't already, watch House MD, because not only is it a great retelling of, of Sherlock Holmes, um, there is uh, the, the first character uh, in it played by Robin Tunney. Uh, her surname is Adler. Um, the uh, the guy that shot house in one of the episodes that's not a spoiler that's the 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 content of, of the episode itself is the grander reveal uh, but one of the guys that that shoots house his name is jack moriarty it keeps going it keeps going it's a it's it's a great great tv show and house is fucking amazing in it hugh laurie is <laughs> is amazing in it um after i saw that before Peter Capaldi was announced as the next Doctor Who, I really wanted Hugh Laurie to be the next Doctor because uh, I thought he would have brought that kind of dry, sarcastic brilliance that uh, some of the Doctors before have had. Um, yeah, but that's it, guys. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe and the, uh, we will drop your comments down below in terms of your favourite house, house quotes uh, and how, the, how you've seen them applied towards real life. Um, as always, we'll see you on Tuesdays and Fridays for more episodes. Uh, but after that, have a great day. I hope you're all keeping safe out there and making smart decisions for those around you. And uh, I'll talk to you soon.